Come on, give it up for the I-Town pit crew, everybody. Good job, guys. What's up, what's up? Welcome to part four of this series called Zero to Sixty. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with. If you haven't already, one of the best ways to do that is to download the I-Town Church app. Click on this weekend's message and we'll have a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes for you. As you get that ready, I want to say hello to our campuses, our church family watching live online, and of course all the correctional facilities across the state. Come on church, let's put our hands together and welcome each other today. So great to have you with us. Our theme verse for the series, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, one more time says, Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. I'm so thankful for that. And by this power, he can do, read it with me, infinitely more. Come on, one more time, infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. We've been talking about getting up to speed in the Christian life. So many of us want to live the full life God's called us to live, but for one reason or another, many times we find ourselves feeling like we're a long ways from where God has called us to be, and we feel like it's going to take us a lifetime to get up to speed the reality is you can go quickly from zero to 60 to live this life if we just embrace biblical principles. We've been talking about that journey, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us, God's people who surround us. So last weekend we talked about the purpose that God launches us out to. Today I want to conclude this series talking about the perspective that you and I have to embrace. We must have a winning mentality. And I don't know if you realize it, but it is the month of May, everybody. Can I get an amen in God's house? It's, it's race month. I love the month of May. I don't really particularly care for or follow racing, but I have always followed the Indianapolis 500, just being an Indiana boy. My dad always loved the race, grew up getting to go a few times, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And so since we were concluding this series in the month of May, we thought we'd bring an Indy car, the beast of all super fast cars that you could possibly have for the final week. And of course, uh, if you don't know, this car has actually been provided to us by the Andretti Autosport team. And you can't have a fast car series without talking about Mario Andretti, because every time anybody in the world drives fast, everybody in the world accuses them of trying to drive like Mario Andretti. His name is synonymous with speed, even if you don't follow racing or care at all about driving fast, everybody knows his name, and rightfully so, because... He is a championship-winning sports car, race car driver. In fact, I have to read all of his accolades because I don't want to get it wrong. He's one of only three people to win Formula One race, IndyCar race, World Sports Car Championship, and in NASCAR. He's the only driver in the history of the world to have ever won the Indy 500, the Daytona 500, and a Formula One World Championship. He's one of only three drivers to win on a road course, a paved oval, and a dirt track all in the same season, and he's done that four times. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. And when he won the Indy 500 for his final time in 1993, he became the only driver in the history of the world to win that race in four different decades. How insane is that? Unbelievable. But see, the thing that's amazing about Mario is his winning mentality. See, he was born in Italy, and his little city was annexed by another nation, and they had to flee deeper into Italy, eventually had to immigrate to America, leaving everything that they knew and loved behind. 
And so many times he said he's been interviewed by people and talked about the adversity of his childhood and the setbacks of his past. And he said, no, no, I don't see it through that lens. Every one of those moments were opportunities for me to be who I am today. You see, his mentality was different than the rest of the world. Now, this particular car that's sitting on the stage today was raced in IndyCar from 2006 to 2009. So it's a little bit of a relic when it comes to... To, that, uh, uh, to this kind of a performance car and all the technology that's in it, it would have been driven by Tony Kanaan. But what they do is when the car gets retired, instead of taking it to the junkyard or tearing it apart because all the technology is old, they redress it so that people like us can stare at it and pretend like it's relevant because it looks like it is to me exactly the same as most of the cars that will run at the end of the month of May. And so... You see here the number 27, the Napa Auto Parts car, driven by Alexander Rossi. He is their current driver in this vehicle with this number. But his story, too, is phenomenal and unique from the standpoint of he was uh, raised in America, driving Phenom, and then decided to move to Europe to race in Formula One. He was successful, won several races, but for one reason or another in 2016, he found himself without a full-time ride. And so he moved back to America, and a lot of people would have said, man, what a setback. Your career is over before it began. You're this young phenom, and then all of a sudden you got your car pulled out from underneath of you. No sponsorship. What a terrible setback. No, he realized it was just a setup. He got this ride with the Andretti team and became a rookie in 2016. And in that rookie season, he won the Indianapolis 500, which was the 100th running of the race, one of the most sought-after races ever, really lots of fanfare. I actually happened to be able to go to the race that particular year, and it was the first time the race had ever completely sold out, and so they took out that dumb blackout in our own community, and people in town got to watch the race. It's the only season, only year I could have watched it on television, I actually was at the track. I mean, I know sometimes you just do things backwards in life. It just is how it works out. It was a lot of fun to be there, but the reason why he won was because his team chose to look at the entire race through a totally different strategy than everybody else, a different lens, a different thought. They had a different mentality. You see, there was a yellow flag. There, there's 200 laps that you run in the Indianapolis 500, so it's 500 miles, but 200 laps around the track. And at lap 166, there was the last yellow flag where all the leading teams had pitted, and so everybody knew they were going to run out of gas. So the top teams pitted in the last 10 laps. And Alexander Rossi's team said, hey, what if we just slow our pace a little bit? Just like we talked about last week. What if we change our strategy and do something different than everybody else? What if we drive just a little bit slower? Instead of pushing the car to full speed, we'll conserve gas. But we're not going to pit. We'll just see if we can make it. Let's just put our faith out there and see what happens. Well, guess what? He ran out of gas on the final lap, but had just enough energy to hold off his challenger by four seconds and won the race. He's the only person in the history of the race that had to be drugged back to the pits for, to, winning, to, to the winner's circle by the tow truck because on his victory lap, his car literally came to a stop because he was completely out of gas. But you see how these moments in life for all of these guys that would have been a huge setback in most of our lives actually became a set up because they were simply willing to look at it through a different lens. Today I want to talk to you about your thought life and I want to challenge you with this simple thought that you'll never change your life until you change the way you think. 
You'll never live the life God's called you to live. All the purpose and all the people and all the power, none of that will do anything for you if you embrace the wrong mindset in life. Which is why Romans says it this way in chapter 12 and verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Man, that's a whole message all by itself. I think one of the number one problems in the body of Christ is that we keep acting like the world, we keep spending money like the world, we keep getting divorced like the world, we keep medicating ourselves like the world, we raise our kids like the world, we entertain ourselves like the world, and so we have all the same problems as the world because what the world is doing doesn't work. So God says, would you just stop all that? Stop acting and living like the world. Instead, let God transform you into a brand new person. But look at how he does it, by changing the way you think. God changes your entire life by changing your perspective, by changing the way you process information. And then it says, you will learn to know God's will. You want to know God's will for your life, you're going to have to let God change your perspective about life. You'll never understand God's will. You'll never see God's hand if you don't begin to look at life through God's lens of this life is not about this life. It doesn't matter how many things I collect and how much I possess and what titles I amass. It's all about the life to come. I'm eagerly awaiting my Savior from heaven. I'm an alien and stranger in this life. I am living for eternity. And I'm going to take as many people with me as possible. See, when you change your perspective, it changes the way you see the world. And then the Bible says it becomes easy for you to see God's will for your life. And then it says you'll see that God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Isn't it encouraging that God's will is perfect for your life? It's a better plan than you can make for yourself. It's actually pleasing, which means that even though right now you might think, if I surrender truly my life to Jesus, that I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be a nerd, I'm going to be isolated, I'm going to be called bad names, and people are going to walk out of my life. Look, some of those things may happen, but at the end of the day, the Bible says God's will, God's plan is better than anything you could plan for yourself. So... We should desire it, but in order to see it come to fruition, in order to identify what it is, we're going to have to let God change our thought life. We're going to have to change our perspective about some things. And so for a few moments today, I want to conclude this whole series by talking about a winning mentality, talking about the way you think. I want to give you a few thoughts about your thoughts, all right? Number one, the first thing you need to know is that everything in life begins with a thought. Everything that you do Everything that happens begins with a thought. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts are actually running your life. Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. I can identify that as being true time and again in my life. I've made no bones about the fact that I love Taco Bell. There's just a few moments in life that you get sitting there on the couch and you're watching television and it's late at night and you start thinking about crunchy, beefy, melty, cheesy. That really is all they have. Those four ingredients are, that describes the entire menu. And I know that they just keep swapping ingredients and calling it new things. It's all the same stuff. I don't know why they changed the name or the price. But I love it, and there's something about it. I get to thinking about it, and then what happens? Your thoughts begin to produce desires, and desires produce action. So I think about, oh man, I just really would love all of those tasty, melty, and the crunchy, and the cheesy, and I can't forget the beefy. I mean, I really need 
oh man, and it just it tastes so good, and I'm so hungry, and everything else is closed, and I know that like I should have stopped eating six hours ago, but it just feels like I deserve this moment of me and Taco Bell, and we think about it, and we fantasize about it, and then, you know, we know the consequences. I know I'm going to wake up 10 pounds heavier. I know that the heartburn is going to keep me from barely being able to put on my shoes tomorrow. I won't even be able to bend over. I know that if I die in a car accident after eating it, they won't even have to embalm me. I'll have so much sodium in my body. It will last for decades to come. But I want it, and I'm thinking about it, and I desire it, and I long to have it. And so guess what? I end up getting in the car, and I drive to the border. (laughs) And I order things like bean burritos with no onions and Mexican pizzas and give me just a 12-pack of crunchy tacos and just throw in a 12-pack of soft tacos because Lord knows my children will steal my food And I have to have enough to survive them coming to try and eat what I have purchased for myself. (laughs) Thoughts create desires and desires create actions. And everything in your life follows that pattern. And we need to understand that everything in life begins with a thought. Just like Taco Bell begins with those dreams and fantasies that create desires, so too does adultery. Man, it just got quiet in this Lutheran church. We start dreaming and fantasizing and thinking about needs that aren't met in our marriage, about things that we desire for ourselves. And it's so insane how the devil does it because you're probably in a marriage that's meeting 80 to 90, 95% of your needs, and yet we get fixated on the 5%, the 10% that we think we can't live without, and the devil gets us fantasizing about it and thinking about it and meditating on it, guess what? It produces all these desires that create this unholy chain reaction in our lives that one day we wake up and the next morning it's just like having eaten Taco Bell. You've ruined your life and everything is a mess and now you're thinking, how in the world did I get here? It all starts with a thought. And so we need to learn how to meditate on how great our spouse is and what a wonderful gift from God they are and what a blessing they are and how we can never be the person we are called to be without them in our lives and we're so thankful for them. Guess what? It produces desires to be with them, desires to honor them, desire to love them, which lives out this kind of marriage that the Bible says the world should be able to look at and say, man, that's a testimony of the love of Christ. Look at how loving and honoring and forgiving and cherishing If that's what Christianity is, I want some of that. And so in every area of life, we need to learn how to think about the Lord. The Bible says, meditate on the book of the law. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Think about it day and night. Why? Because then you'll desire it. You'll do everything that's written in it, and you'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. God's plan for your life will come to fruition. We have to manage our thought life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. And so, look, the results are if your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. It's always going to lead you down a terrible path. That's why we talk about sin, not because we hate sinners or because we're trying to wave our finger at the world. It's because destruction and death is at the end of the path that America is walking on, and we have to love our neighbor and love our country enough to warn them about the fact that this is not going to end well for us. 
It doesn't matter if you think we're crazy. It doesn't matter if you think we're archaic. It doesn't matter if you think we're trying to take our country back to some kind of early 1900s Neanderthalic thinking. No, the fact that all this enlightenment that we have in our culture and in our schools today is going to lead to the destruction of our country. It ends in death. But if the spirit controls your mind, it leads to life and peace. That's what we all need personally. That's what America needs. And that's what you need in your personal life. Listen, we oftentimes as believers think about all the wrong things. We meditate on all the ways that we used to medicate before Christ. We meditate on all the wrong relationships and all the wrong thought life. And then we can't figure out why we can't live for God. We get so upset about the fact that we continue repeating in sin. You cannot do right until you learn to think right. God is going to change you by changing the way you think. Everything in your life begins with a thought. Number two, jot this down if you're taking notes. What we think determines how we feel. What we think determines how we feel. Your thoughts are actually impacting your emotions. And you have to be careful about this because I know I've said this before. I want to say it again. I, I just want to warn you that it's good to be educated. It's good to address issues in culture. It's good to understand what's happening in the world around us. I do not think that we should be hiding in the hills. God's called us to be salt and light, engaged in the world around us. But at the very same time, while you're getting educated about the things that are facing us, just remember that the media that is reporting to you makes money by keeping you in crisis and fueling the hatred of our nation because it's what riles people up and it's why people watch television and they don't care about the future of America. They care about ratings. They care about selling things. They care about making money. And so they would love for all of us to focus on division and to focus on hatred and to focus on divisiveness in our culture across every line that they can divide us on. And if you focus on that, guess what? You'll live full of fear, full of anxiety, full of worry. And those are the very things that grip our culture today. Now, I'm not saying that we don't face real problems. I'm not saying we don't have work to do both inside and outside of the church to make sure that we are the nation that God has called us to be. I think there are real issues that we have to face that are being brought up in the media today. I think it's important that we understand what those are and that we fight to correct them even inside the body of Christ. But we have got to make sure that that's not the only thing that we are thinking about because then you'll live with this despairing kind of perspective that our country is lost, that the world is falling apart, and that we are going to become a victim and there's no way for it to turn around and your life will be full, gripped with the fear and the anxiety and everything else that our culture suffers from. Stop copying the behavior and the customs of this world. We got to let God transform us. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things and look at the result. Peace. God's peace will be with you. You want peace in your life? Don't focus on everything that's wrong with every moment in life. Learn to have a more positive perspective because even setbacks like losing your ride or like being kicked out of your country can become a set up for the amazing blessings that God has in your life if you'll just begin to see it through a different lens. Don't let that negativity overwhelm you because you'll live with fear and anxiety. I heard an ancient story about this African king who uh, loved to hang out with his best friend. They did everything together. 
Except for one day they were out hunting and his best friend had loaded the gun and he loaded it incorrectly. And when the king fired it, it blew off his thumb. But his friend said, this is good. And the king said, this is not good. I just lost my thumb. (laughs) We're not friends anymore. And he locked his friend up in jail. His friend sat in jail for an entire year. About that same time, the next year, the king was out hunting again. But he got captured by cannibals. I don't know if you know this about cannibals, but they're very superstitious. And they won't eat a person that doesn't have all their limbs. And they looked at the king and they noticed that his thumb was missing and they cut him loose and set him free. He ran back to the village and immediately set his friend free and said, I'm so sorry I locked you up for this past year. And his friend said, this is good. And the king said, there's no way it's good. You've lost a year of your life. I wrongfully accused you. You saved my life inadvertently. You knew that it would turn out for the good. How could this be good? And his friend smiled and said, if you hadn't locked me in jail, I'd have been with you. Sometimes we need a healthy dose of perspective in life to balance our emotions and begin to look at things through a more positive lens. Why? Because number three, jot it down, how you think determines your destiny. How we think is ultimately determining the outcome of our lives. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Think about that. Whatever you're dwelling on in your heart is the ultimate outcome of your life. If you think you can't, you probably won't. But if you think you can, more than likely you will. I've been able to achieve things athletically that I should have never been able to achieve. I am not that athletic. I am not that fast. I am not that strong. But I will die trying. I will outwork everybody. I used to tell people that in basketball all the time. Man, if I had your, if I had your hops, I'd be in the league right now. At 42, 43 years old, I'd still be in the NBA. Man, if I had your athletic ability because I try harder than everybody else, I'm not that good at CrossFit, I will just die beating you. And I can go to a very dark place. And people see the crazy in your eyes and then they give up. It's fantastic. If you choose to dwell on all your problems in life, chances are your problems will overwhelm you. But if in the midst of adversity you begin to look for opportunity, you'll always find one. If you determine in life that you are a victim and that things have been stacked against you, depending on whatever your background looks like, the world or the media is telling you that you'll never be good enough, that you'll never measure up, guess what? If you believe that garbage, you will be a victim. But if you look at the truth of God's word and say, I am the righteousness of God, I am the head and not the tail, I am above and not beneath, no weapon formed against me would prosper, guess what? You will be prosperous and successful. Because God raises one up and lowers another. It doesn't matter what the kingdoms of this world or what people of this world or people in this country or people in your life say about you. What matters is what you see about yourself. Numbers chapter 13. We see this amazing story about how the nation of Israel is coming to the promised land. They've come out of Egypt. And Moses sends in 12 spies. Tell us what the land looks like. In verse 30, we pick the story up. Caleb and Joshua said, we need to go. Let's go, he says, at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men, verse 31, who had explored the land, disagreed. We can't go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. And so they spread a bad report about the land. They lied. They said, the land that we traveled through will devour anybody who goes to live there. And all the people, not just a few, all the people we saw were huge, everybody. 
We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. Man, if you got your Bible, you need to underline this passage. We felt like grasshoppers. And then they said, and that's what they thought too. Do you capture that? This is how we felt. Therefore, we are confident that that's how they thought about us. They didn't go do focus groups with the enemy. Nine out of ten giants determine Israelites look like grasshoppers. <laughs> they didn't have any concrete evidence. There was no conversation. There was no, there, there was no statistics. There's nothing to back this. They just said, this is how we feel, and so we're projecting that onto everyone else. When you walk into situations in life and say, I feel like a loser, you're just automatically assuming that everybody sees you as a loser. When you feel like an outcast, when you feel like an addict, when you feel like you're always going to fall short, when you feel like you should be rejected, then you automatically project that on others whether they're feeling that or not, whether they're thinking that or not, and you predispose yourself to failure. And guess what happened? Those 10 spies and an entire generation got sent back into the desert by God and fell short of God's destiny for them. They never took the promised land. They died in the desert. But Caleb and Joshua, the two that said we can and we will, actually led the charge for the next generation to take the promised land. I just want to know, are you a part of the two or are you a part of the ten? Because if you're seeing your life through the lens of, I'll always be insignificant, I'll always be a failure, I'll never be good enough, it doesn't even matter what God says, then the reality is you will fall far short of the life that God has called you to live. You will wander in the desert one step on the brink of every promise that God has made to your life, and by your own perspective, you'll be held hostage. But yet, if you'll see through the lens of faith, through the eyes of if God says we can do it, then we're going to go for it. You can be a person that outlives the haters and takes the promised land. You can be a person that overcomes because your thoughts are determining your destiny. Number four, as you probably guessed, successful people simply think differently than others. They just choose to see the world through a different lens. Just like Alexander Rossi and his team back in 2016 they looked at the race through the lens that was completely radical and different, and it was a risk, but it was a risk worth taking and a risk that worked out because they just said, what if? Everyone else said, there's no way the gas will last, and they said, but what if? What if we thought about it a little bit different way? What if we saw this problem as an opportunity? What if this could be our chance to take the lead? And he did it, lap 197, and managed to hang on for victory. You see... I love this passage in Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus looked at these individuals and says, with man, this situation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I think we need to have that kind of faith just uh, if God says it's going to happen, all things are possible. If we'll just believe all things are possible. I heard this great story about this little girl. She was really excited as she went back to school because they were learning about whales in her class at school and at Sunday school that week she learned about Jonah and how he got swallowed by a big fish, by a whale, she thought. So she went to class and she said, teacher, I know we're learning all about whales. I'm so excited to share with the class that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, lived three days in the belly of a fish and the teacher was an atheist. She said, that's not true. She said, what do you mean? She says, the story's not true. It's physically impossible. It's been proven by science. Whales have big mouths and a big body, but a very small neck, and there's no way a human could have passed through it. The story's not true. 
And the little girl said, what do you mean it's not true? Jonah lived three days in the belly of the fish. And the teacher said, I'm telling you that your faith's not real. I'm telling you that Jonah didn't do that. I'm just telling you the story's not real. It's impossible. It's impossible. The little girl said, well, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to focus on that. I don't care that you say that it's impossible. When I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah. I'll just ask how he got into the belly of the whale. Because I know that it's possible. The Bible says that it's true. And the teacher kind of doubled down, thought, I'm going to teach this little girl a lesson. She said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? She said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to shift your perspective from the realm of what's possible to the realm of faith and just say, if God says it's going to happen, then it is going to happen. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the devil says. My God says no weapon formed against me will prosper. My God says that his spirit is working on the inside of me. And it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by God's spirit, says the Lord. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, God would raise up a standard against him. That I am going to be successful because greater is he who lives on the inside of me than everything that I could possibly face in this world. So there's nothing that's going to keep me from my destiny. If my God says it's going to come to pass, then it will be so. Because with man, this might be impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. How do you see the world? Because you'll never change your life until you change the way you think. And guess what? As we close, I want to encourage you, you can change the way you think. It is possible to change your perspective in life. That's why God wants to change you to a new person. By changing the way you think. We have to get God's word in our lives. Remember Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, week 1. We talked about how it's a double-edged sword. Penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Get God's word in your life. You want a brand new perspective? See what God's word says. Find a promise in this book and stand on that promise. Let this Bible become your highest reality. Not CNN, not Fox News, not your friend, not Instagram, certainly not Facebook. Don't let other people dictate your life. Let God's word and the promises found in it dictate your life. Find godly friends. Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another get the right relationships in your life and then let God's power do what only God's power can do one more time our theme verse this time from the New King James Ephesians 3:20. now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think why because it's his power that's at work on the inside of us With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to close out this series praying that God would help you to change your perspective, to change your mentality, to change the way you see the world, to change the way you see your problems, the way you see your opportunities, even the way you see yourself. But all that begins with a relationship with Him. Maybe some of you have been trained by the world, the pattern and the behavior of this world to think less of yourself to become a victim, to focus on the negative. And I just want you to know today you need a fresh start. But that's what God promises in salvation. When you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender to him, the Bible says he makes everything new. That's what he wants to do for you today, to give you a fresh start. Maybe you're far from God today. 
There's a million reasons why we find ourselves in that place. Maybe you just never knew the Lord. Or maybe you were close to him at one point and for one reason or another could have been a relationship, could have been something with spiritual leadership, could have been something that you walked through, some tragedy or heartache in life. You found yourself far from him. I just want you to know God's not mad at you today. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. If you'll surrender your life to him, he'll make you brand new from the inside out. He'll give you a fresh perspective in life. His power will be at work on the inside of your life. If that's you today, I want to pray with you before we go. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just want to connect you with Jesus. With no one looking around, I'd love for you to take one step of faith to say, Dave, that's me. Wherever you're participating in the service today, would you do me the favor just to lift your hand up high for just a moment to say, that's me. I'm crossing that line in my heart. Come on, right now, put your hand up high. Say, count me in. I need to pray. Yeah, that's awesome. All across the room, I'm so proud of you. All right, you can put your hands down. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For all of my sin and for all my mistakes, God, I repent. I surrender to you. Come and make me brand new. Give me fresh perspective of the life you've called me to live. Then just tell him, God, I give you my life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, we thank you as we close out this series for the life that you've called us to live. We thank you for your tremendous blessings in every area of life. Father, we stand on the promise of your word that even in bad times, you'll turn it for the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, I pray that you would change our perspective today that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we'd begin to see the world through a completely different lens. God, we thank you that as our thought life changes, as we align our thoughts with your word and, and, and surround ourselves with your people, God, we thank you that we'll begin to discern your will for our lives, that it's pleasing, it's perfect, God, it's good. We're so thankful that we get to serve a good God. Lord, our prayer is that as we leave this place, you would help each and every one of us live out our full potential in you. And God, we say one more time, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer this morning? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.